Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. This is episode 11. We're going to be discussing some design failures. Last episode, we chatted about the Japanese repair art Kintsugi and how it's become a popular modern aesthetic. Be sure to check out that episode and any others that take your fancy after this. So this week, we thought we'd take a dive into when design can really go wrong or maybe when design should have been implemented when it wasn't. Uh, so we found a few different fun stories. Indeed. And let's just say there are many of them. Um, <laughs> designers are by no means perfect and we've screwed up many a time. But these are just some kind of interesting highlights. We're going to talk about, you know, what happened and what could have been done differently. And, you know, in some of these cases, the answer is just don't do it in the first place. <laughs> yep. Pretty Unfortunately, much. that is true. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about a few of these. And there is already a amazing collection which is the museum of failure which believe it or not is a thing i don't actually know where they're based it was originally i think it might have closed down now actually which i don't know if it had anything to do with the pandemic but um there was one in sweden and i think there's now one in california um but they have a good website the irony of a museum of failure failing (laughs) that's oh that's true i didn't even think of that yeah Yeah, but they do have a website with lots of fun stories on them and we've pulled a couple from there but otherwise let's get started Yes. Now cast your minds back to the uh, the fateful night for all those big old stars at the Oscars. Now you might be knowing where this is going, when the Best Picture Award was accidentally awarded to La La Land instead of its actual winner of Moonlight. When Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty stepped onto the stage, uh, he looked a bit hesitant, and they finally announced this. And the Academy Award... For best picture. You're impossible. Come on. La La Land. So you can hear in the clip that Warren Beatty is, well, he's kind of clearly confused. And Faye Dunaway and the rest of the audience kind of thought he was just messing with them by sort of looking back in the envelope, looking back again, sort of looking around, checking there wasn't anything else he was missing. Um, But in reality, he actually was confused because what he had in his hand was a card that read, Emma Stone, La La Land. And that was actually the last award that was announced for the Best Actress. So they'd already announced it? It was literally the last award that had been announced. Yeah. Okay, so he clearly wasn't listening. uh, But I also didn't know that. I thought that, you know, he was supposed to announce Best Actress and ended up announcing um, Best Picture. Yeah, no, it was... was, They were there. He knew he was announcing the Best Picture. And that's what they were there for. And so he's, he's at this point, he's pretty confused. And uh, so he sort of shows the card over to Faye Dunaway, who doesn't really, he's clearly not aware of anything being wrong and doesn't really think mm. about it. And she just reads out the only film title that's visible, which is La La Land. So it was actually, a lot of people on the night sort of blamed Warren Beatty because he was the one that had the card. But it was actually Faye Dunaway that announced it. But um, as mm. we'll explain here, it's not really either of their fault. So yeah, what happened? How did that happen? So it's an interesting one. So as as Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway walked onto stage, um, it was the job of an accountant named Brian Cullinan to hand him the envelope. Um, and as you might under- have guessed, he handed him the wrong one. 
So he was just distracted, yeah. Yeah, he was on his phone at the time. He was distracted. Uh, he was actually posting, I believe it was on Twitter, he was posting a picture he'd just taken of Emma Stone winning her Best Actress Oscar. <laughs> um, so I think, I don't know if he, he might have removed it from his um, Twitter feed. It would be, I wouldn't be surprised. That would um, be very funny. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a human error. Everyone, it's, yeah. it's very likely that people and humans are going to get distracted and make a mistake. So that would mean that... BT opened the envelope and it would have said Oscars, La La Land, Emma Stone. Because it says the name of the award, like pretty tiny text, doesn't it? Yeah. So he opened the envelope and in front of him on this piece of card, he was faced with nine different words. So at the top it says the Oscars. The is very small, but Oscars is actually the largest word on the piece of paper. Clearly that's the most important information. Well, they need reminding. Yeah. In case, in case he'd forgotten where he was and what he was doing. Uh, next, right in the middle of the card, is both the words La La Land and Emma Stone. And they had exactly the same weighting, even though, you know, this is the Best Actress Award. So the important information there is Emma Stone. The sort of extra information is La La Land, because that's what she was in. But the important bit there is Emma Stone. So you would have thought that Emma Stone should be bigger, but no, they're both the same weighting. Uh, so as you might be guessing, this is a bit of a typography blunder, this one. Finally... Mm -hmm. On this piece of paper, right at the bottom, in very small font, it says best, best actress. actress. So, so they really just—I—I—I I, I imagine they've changed their typography now. But yes, I would hope they've changed the typography. I would hope they've changed their typography. I mean, this is a like it's not really happened before. No. I'm sure there've been little blunders in the past, but like not one this bad. No, I mean it's an it's an interesting one because this is. This is an example which clearly doesn't have any, you know, hugely negative ramifications. It's just a sort of embarrassment to some celebrities, which to the rest of us is probably a good thing because it's entertaining. And, you know, yes. we're talking about <laughs> it uh, over four years later. But yeah, so this, this one is, I mean, if they'd done the typography correctly, so Oscars, you know, make that a bit smaller. And then, you know, it should have said Emma Stone and Big. Uh, La La Land, just small underneath it, and you know, best actress should be bigger at either the top or the bottom. Because if that was the case, Warren Beatty would have mm. pulled out the award and he would have read best actress Emma Stone. This is the wrong card, and it might be embarrassing yeah. for him to have to walk back off stage and get the right one. But it's less embarrassing than not not oh, yeah. walking no, back he off stage. Like, looks like I've been given the wrong card, and he, you know, and blame yeah. it on someone in the in the sidelines whose name doesn't ever have to be public you know yeah. yeah um but if you know also if emma stone was a higher weighting than la la land when he turned it to faye dunaway she wouldn't have just blurted out la la land because she might have seen she would have seen that it was said emma stone first and realized something was up mm. but now you might be wondering pablo and our listener um, how did they even get the previous envelope in their hands? So just a few minutes before they went on stage, that be best actress envelope had been in the hands of Leonardo DiCaprio as he stood on stage to announce it. Except it didn't, because they have two copies of each. Now, of <laughs> this, <they do. laughs> this is sort of entertaining in the way, because the reason they have two copies is as a safety measure. <laughs> so their safety measure... One. Yeah, their safety measure is what messed them up. 
Um, so Brian Cullinan, the accountant side, wasn't alone. On the other side of stage was uh, a lady called Martha Ruiz, who had an identical briefcase with identical envelopes. And on the day, they each travelled you know, different routes to make sure that they got there safely. And yeah. um, just before this, this Oscars, they'd been doing in- interviews like proudly discussing how 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 sure they will be that everything goes smoothly because of their uh, their setup of having the two of them. Um, so it's kind of kind of ironic, I suppose. So essentially, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio picked the envelope from his side, and then Brian Culligan would have been responsible for taking that one out of the next running. Mm. So basically, as as yeah, as one as one side hands the envelope over to be announced, the other must just remove its duplicate from their side and. Yeah, Brian Cullinan failed to do it. I guess. I guess that was probably he was again distracted on his phone, which is a he was tweeting, a human thing to do. But so it's it's quite entertaining. It's it's a, it's a case of them messing up not only the typography but also an overcomplication of the process. Yeah, that's really complicated for what it should be, and it also yeah. just kind of I know the silliness of all of it really. Yeah. Well, it actually, interestingly, it harkens back to. Galileo Galilei had one of the things, one of the last sort of um, books that he wrote was about how safety measures can sometimes add complication to a system and cause it to fail. Hmm. Um, Interesting note, actually. Very true. Yeah, they never learned their lesson. Yeah. On to a second failure. Now, this is a much more recent one, and it's a very much more kind of producty one. And this is Juicero, which was a corporate kind of, you know, modern tech startup solution to solve a problem that, quite frankly, was not a problem. Now, this was supposed to be the smart, all-encompassing, internet-connected, health food genius juice press, right? <laughs> And it sold for the whopping price of 400 US dollars. Because that's what you really need for to spend your money on. Because <laughs> that's what you need when you, you know, need to work out or want to, you know, want to be more, I guess, I don't know, healthy with what you eat. You need a $400 juice press and not to just go buy some juice or make juice. I don't know. Do, just don't do this. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I get very um, built up around this because it's just ridiculous. So Juicero is this press and it's all sleek and modern looking. It connects to the internet, which in and itself was an issue. Half the time you'd wake up in the morning, it was doing a bloody software update and you couldn't use it. Um, But the big thing was that they could only press their own proprietary juices that they sold in these bags for $8 per glass. That is an insane amount of money for a glass of it juice. It is insane. And this is like, you know, a high f- half pint size. It's not a lot of juice. Like oh it's what God. you have at your little breakfast table, you know? Did they not think the marketing of this through? Like, <laughs> who were they marketing it at? Well, the, the terrible thing is it worked. Oh, God. Like, obviously it didn't, like, it wasn't a resounding success because not a lot of, you know, like, not a lot of people bought it and... All of the press was terrible press, but like, you know, enough people or, you know, little kind of CrossFit gyms or influencers or whatever got in on it that, you know, people got excited. Like, I know Casey Neistat had one. So like... And then then he shares yeah. about it and tries to spread it yeah, around. Yeah, exactly. So like, it, it worked to an extent. It's just so stupid because basically what they were, 
and this is also an environmental tragedy, was there were these kind of, you know, plastic film, keep your stuff fresh things that inside of them had chopped fruit. Okay, that's fine. Um, except each bag had a built-in microchip. So when you put it into the juicer, it would scan it. It would check that the bag was not out of date and was made by the correct company. These things expired within a week of production, which meant, you know, if you order your juice bags from this company and they deliver them, you've got seven days to drink them, else the perfectly fine fruit that is eight days old, or seven days and one hour, it will not work. Like, there is nothing you can do. That's so... It's so dystopic. Yeah. So yeah, they had these built-in microchips. It meant that you could only squeeze their juice. People obviously tried to get around it with, you know, putting old microchips on new bags. But of course, the second the, scos- the code's been scanned, it's cancelled forever. It was ridiculous. And it, I think the big nail in the coffin came when all of their advertising was about how that there was four tons of squeezing force within the machine, which meant it could get every ounce of nutrition out into your little glass for your, you know, start of the day drink. That's a lot of force as well. Four tons. Um, it is a lot of force. Four tons of pressure <laughs> was supposedly what was necessary to get the most healthy juice, right? Um, someone bought one of their bags and literally wrung it up like a towel using their own two hands and filled a glass with no difficulty. <laughs> Which essentially proves that they were an $8 juice company in a stupid bag with a $400 accessory that did nothing if anything it made it even worse yeah if anything it made it worse because you'd have to wait for it to you know i think i think the person who discovered this had bought a bag and it expired and they were like oh well i'm not just gonna throw away this perfectly good eight dollar juice so let me squeeze it myself and it worked oh man anyway absolutely ridiculous i'd like to i might just quickly google how much funding did they get I mean, it's consumerism gone mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's consumerism gone mad. Um, right, let's see. I've found a Guardian article. Um, they launched and died in 16 months. They had raised $120 million in investment money. Oh my god. It was pre yeah, pre-sold packets of diced fruits and vegetables that were plugged in. Everyone mocked them. Because it was Bloomberg who released that they could easily be squozen with one's hands and actually juice the juice faster than the machine would. <laughs> and it wouldn't require electricity or a Wi-Fi connection or a $400 machine. Your own two hands can squeeze out a glass of juice faster than a four-ton press. Jesus Christ. And yeah, the D- Doug Evans, who was the guy, um, you know, who created it, called himself the Steve Jobs of nutrition. Of course he would, yep. <laughs> yeah, of course he would. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, you know, solutions for non-problems, that's entirely what this was. Yeah, I mean, there's so many options for making fresh juice that doesn't require you to fork out $400 for a machine. Yeah, they they did promise to reimburse customers and stuff, which meant that at the end they were losing $4 million a month. Well, I yeah. guess it's what, it's what they deserved. <laughs> it's entirely what they asked for, so there we go. This one actually it sort of reminds me of another one that I was thinking we could briefly bring up, mm. but it's the log bar ring that was oh, marketed. I did hear of this. 
2014 to 2015. And basically, it was a small wearable tech. So you'd wear it on your index finger, like a little ring. And basically, the idea of it was that you could control any device with hand gestures. So you could swipe your finger to go to the next TV channel or text messages by writing in the air, Um, like go to your music by doing a music symbol in the air. And I mean, it's an it's an interesting concept, and they raised nearly a million dollars on Kickstarter for it. Oh my god! Um, but it really flopped. The wireless charger wasn't wireless. The ring was massive and really uncomfortable. And the worst bit, it didn't really work. <laughs> it worked like five to ten percent of the time. So you just have to sit there, just sort of waving your finger over and over and over again to uh, to get it to actually do anything. Oh, that's just distressing, really. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they reimburse people at all. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe Kickstarter has some... Kickstarter's not great at giving you coverage, because technically, as long as you receive whatever they made, that's it. So if you never get anything, they'll give you money back. But, you know, oh, okay. if if you receive a non-functioning product, that was you backing um, the wrong horse, basically. Yeah. So it was called well, the one of the worst products ever made. And, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's it's one of the, it's a case of technology which is probably in a way ahead of its ahead of its time. So like they've made a technology which the concept is a bit ahead of its time, and it's also too far ahead of its time that it doesn't work. Yeah, I, I mean, in theory, it sounds great. You know, it's like oh, a thing that I wave around and gesture control everything. Like I I think yeah, it you know, it's just not there yet yeah and to be fair the next thing we're going to talk about is the same thing um you know it was just wasn't ready for the 2012 release date that it had can you believe it was then <laughs> in theory with this log bar ring it, you, you could end up being like like tony stark where you're sat there you can wave around controlling your computers just with gestures and stuff like that but yeah the technology is just not there <laughs> yeah I, I still fundamentally believe that um gesture control is probably going to be the future of like home automation Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm. I feel like it definitely will find a place. Yeah, you know, I think everyone talks about like every, you know, voice assistants as being the next big thing. But quite frankly, I'd like to not have to, you know, talk to Google or Siri about everything. I'd like to be able to just like wave and point at things. Yeah, personally, I feel like the the sort of point where I'd like it to get to is is where you can sort of almost interact with them like they're an actual person like you can actually just talk to them and they'll just sort of understand you most of the time and you can yeah. do gestures that they can just understand it's it, it's oftentimes with these technologies nowadays it's just too clunky you have to do very precise and specific things for it to understand mm-hmm. it yeah no absolutely So we hinted towards it, but the next one up is Google Glass. Now this, believe it or not, came out 10 years ago. Oh my god. I I remember being pretty excited. As a kid, I would have been about like 10, 11 when people were talking about this. So as a kid, it it really excited me, the concept. Oh, me too. I was incredibly excited about it. I remember when it came out, I like read all the articles, I watched all the videos, and the videos did make it seem so cool. It was like, oh, you wear this skydiving, you wear it cycling, you wear it shopping, you wear it working. And for what it's worth, um, they are still a thing. You just can't buy them as a consumer, but they exist in professional markets and they are used in some industries. So it's not like they completely failed, you know? 
yeah, yeah. I guess as a technology, it's kind of interesting. I I think one of the things I got quite excited about with them is as a glasses wearer myself, the idea of having like computer screens and stuff attached to my glasses, which I'm wearing anyway. It was kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's it's all very it's it's fun, and it's like the idea is very exciting, and it's still used in medical uh, systems right now quite a lot. Mm. Uh, and I believe it's used in some kind of educational bits and bobs. I don't actually know. I was just doing a quick Google to see if I could find out any companies that actively use them, but no one's very loud about it. No. There, there was someone who has written a Medium article earlier this year. They bought one on eBay for $200, which is a lot less than they originally sold for, um, to you know find an open source version and basically run it themselves, which actually seems quite smart because they are a cool little piece of tech. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that you could, if you're into your Internet of Things, those sort of stuff at, in your own home, would be quite cool mm. to to be able to open source into your own system for your own yeah for sure sort of home use. Yeah, actually, there's a YouTuber I've been watching who he made his own um, little face mounted display that he uses as a teleprompter, <laughs> which is quite cool. But yeah, Google Glass it sold for one thousand five hundred dollars which is the cost of a MacBook Pro. Yeah. And not the, you know, like not the cheapest MacBook Pro either, like the cost of a mid-range, pretty good one, you know. And I think that from the start, the issue was that they really couldn't decide whether they want it to be something that people wore all the time, 24-7, it was just part of your life now, like a phone, or if it was something people used in very specific circumstances. Mm. It ended up having quite a lot of issues with, with that, didn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. It just wasn't multifunctional enough. And it was only very good at some things. And people weren't happy with the idea of people using them every day because it's basically just recording everything that's going on, you know, the privacy of other people walking down the street. It's kind of being compromised by someone just wearing a Google Glass walking down the street. Oh, yeah, the privacy concerns were huge. And, of course, you just wouldn't know if someone was filming. You wouldn't know what they were doing. Um, Yeah, it's... They, 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 were, they were good for, like, getting directions if you're cycling. That's a great, great version and reason mm. for them. Um, but they're not so useful for going to a coffee shop and just, like, chatting to someone or whatever while you go. It's like, no, maybe if you're working in architecture and you want to live AR preview things, but, you know, yeah. nothing beyond that. And even then, they weren't all that powerful. So even technology that we have now, like with an iPad Pro and its AR technology, it was nowhere near that. No. So they actually weren't even that good anyway. Uh, but yeah, they basically had a prototype that was functional and they decided to bring it to market in a very way too early stage. And it, yeah, flopped. The cynic in me wonders whether they maybe realised that it wasn't going to go much further. So they thought, well, let's try and make some money off of it at the prototype stage. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they definitely thought, let, yeah, that could be it. But also the fact that they do still work, you know? Mm. Like they are used actively in some applications. Yeah. They're just absolutely not used in where I guess the intention was, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe also they released it in that sort of prototype phase to help with them mm. further, yeah. further finishing it off. But yeah, it's a, that's a flop. That's a flop. And yeah, I mean, just kind of weird though. It, you know, it ran Android. So in theory, one could play around with it and change things. Yeah. I think it's um, it's interesting though that this you know happened a decade ago, and I think even then when Google Glass 
came out, people talked about, oh, who else was doing this? And there were always things about like Apple working on AR glasses and, you know, that kind of thing. But obviously they've never said anything about it, yet they've been the people putting the most um, effort and research into into augmented reality. So if the rumors are true, Apple's going to release something like Google Glass in a year or two. Mm. And I think it'll be interesting to see if it works because there were clearly rumors about them doing this 10 years ago. And the fact that they've not said anything or done anything proves that they don't think the technology was ready. No. Because in general, Apple's good at timing things to when they're ready. They don't usually, you know, get to a market too early. Yeah, I was going to say that. I would be interested to see how it would go if they did release it. Because, as I said, it, I feel like the concept still has legs. It's, it was just brought out at the time when it wasn't ready. So it yeah. could, it could till, still take off. But who knows? It could indeed. And I'm, just, I'm really interested to see what they look like. What, you know, is it going to be mixed reality? Is it going to be VR? Um, the, I mean, the rumors the rumor really come from the fact that they've got lots of people working in AR and they put so much time into it, which is not worth the money if they're just doing it for iPad apps to be able to, like, you know, Ikea so you can see your furniture before you buy it. Mm-hmm. And they've bought, you know, multiple AR companies and it's, it's their biggest sector of hiring. Yeah, I feel like a lot of tech companies are still very much interested in the augmented reality side of things. It's it's something that I mean, unless I, I I would not like to stand against these companies and say that, you know, they're wrong, it's all gonna flop. I they clearly know something. Yeah, no, exactly. They they know something, they will do something. Uh and we'll have to find out, basically. Mm. So that's Google Glass, and we can talk about another pair of glasses. Yeah, whilst we're on the eyewear. That were far less smart. And they're definitely not gonna be coming back anytime soon. No. So this was, uh, it was it was named Magneto by Nike. I think that might have actually been their internal name, but uh, I don't think it really got that far. Did it ever get sold? I think it did get, yeah, it did get sold, I think, but it was more just sold um, to sort of athletes to market it. Okay. And sort of um, get people on board with the idea. But it was, yeah, it was in 1995 to 97, and... It was literally gluing magnets to the to a, the temp your to your temples, and attaching glasses to them. So they were just basically glasses without arms that just magnetically attached to magnets that you'd glued to the side of your head. As ridiculous as that sounds, yeah, that's just weird. I guess they just looked at the aesthetic of having these sort of glasses without the arms and not having to have all the bulk of glasses and goggles and stuff like that for athletes. Yeah, but you think the bulkiest bit isn't the little, you know, wings that go over your ears, is it? Not really. I guess with athletes, they might have wraparound things like bands that hold it around their heads to make sure they don't fall off and they're completely attached. Yeah, but still not the biggest bit. No, and gluing magnets to the side of your head? Nike, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm, I don't know what they were suggesting. Like, did it come with a kind of skin-safe temporary glue? Or did it come with a glue gun? I'm not entirely sure, because in some places it says glue, gluing, and in other places it says taping. So I'm not entirely sure. I, I think it was, it was kind of still in the concept phase when they scrapped it. But Okay, I mean, that's at least they had the self-awareness before it got too far. Yeah. And they didn't call themselves the Steve Jobs of eyewear. 
No. Actually, the interesting Steve Jobs is mentioned in the article I was reading about this. Oh. Um, because Nike's CEO, Mark Parker, at the time decided to kill it off, um, in part due to Steve Jobs. Because um, oh. he had, apparently, had, Steve Jobs had a good bullshit meter, but also an open mind. And um, I don't know, clearly they had a conversation, and Steve Jobs just went, Yeah, dude, think about this for a second. Think about this. What are you doing? Yeah. It didn't, didn't come through. And I'm glad. To be honest, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. I don't, you know, the, the concept seems cool. You know, I did, I have this document on my phone. Uh, it's a notes document where I write down ideas that I have. Right. Yep. And they're usually terrible. Anyone who's spent any amount of time with me knows that, like, I have a sense of humor that gets a little too deep into things sometimes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, some of these are great. I'm not going to read out the great ones because I might make those one day. Uh, but they're things like a bin that screams at you when you put things in the wrong bin. <laughs> um, I think I also have one of these documents. A eraser within another eraser. I don't know why, but a pub that's also a gym. Don't know when I wrote that one down. Um, pregnancy tests that can be planted in the ground and grow a tree. <laughs> why? I don't know. <laughs> and glasses that don't need a nose. So that, I, that one I'd written down because I was like, okay, you know, you can get glasses that squeeze around your nose. Or in this case, you can get the Nike Magnetos. But I don't believe there's anything that you could, you know, if you didn't have a nose that you could use. Yeah. How would Voldemort wear glasses? Guys, think about this. Exactly. How would Voldemort wear glasses? Or, you know, someone who's had a facial injury or whatever. And there isn't really a solution. So this isn't a bad idea. It's just a little bit of a funny concept because the solutions are probably all terrible. Yeah. Is the solution not just contact lenses? True. Sorry to burst your bubble. I mean, that wouldn't help with sunglasses, though. It would not help. Oh, oh God, you could get tinted contacts. <laughs> tinted contacts. Actually, you know, you know the, the eyeglasses that like color shift when you go outside? Yeah, they're really slow, though. I think my, my nan had a Can pair you? for a while. Can you get those but contacts? Or is that just know. a terrible idea? Maybe. I mean, they, the contacts are made of a different material to actual glasses. I don't know, maybe. This episode is about design failures, so we might as well come up with some of our own design failures. Have you got an uh, ideas document of your own here? I have an ideas document. It's, it's not necessarily got any quite as wacky and weird things, but it's got some ideas that are clearly way beyond my capabilities. <laughs> um, so there was a few things, like an electric motorbike that self-stabilises so it can't fall over. Not bad. It's, it's an interesting idea, but I wouldn't know, have no idea how to do it. Um, oh, this is another, another fun one that, again, is completely way above my knowledge. Um, finding a way to reduce the art effects of G-force and creating artificial gravity for, like, space travel. <laughs> it's so sci-fi. <laughs> But, but yeah, um, or a similar vein, aircraft pressure system to make it feel more Earth-like. Because you know when you go in an air, air, you know, airplane, and it just the pressure and the pressurized cabin just makes your sort of head just feel a bit. Ooh. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess this mm. is this is another one that sort of. I guess it's you know yeah sure it's sort of a product flop for me. Um, Although I didn't get very far with it. One of my original ideas for my final uh, dissertation project that I started researching over the summer before final year was 
light pollution polarizing glasses so that you could stargaze in the middle of cities. That's quite cool, if it's possible. It's an interesting concept. Yeah, well, the reason I scrapped it in the end was because I found that it kind of wasn't possible. Because my whole idea was that the light... I'm going to get a bit scientific. The light that would reflect from the cities going up and bouncing off the atmosphere and coming back down would be polarized because it's that reflection. So if mm. you had polarizing filters to filter that out, you could sort of get rid of it and just see the stars behind. But the problem is that polarizing filters also really dim the sort of light level. So when you're trying to look at stars, which are generally quite faint anyway, it would probably just mean that you wouldn't be able to see them with the naked eye. And it was at that point that I decided to scrap it and make moss tiles instead. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, in theory, it still seems cool. You know, it's like even though it doesn't work in practice, like I can, ima- I can imagine why someone goes, oh, that seems really fun, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting concept that if, it, if you could find a way to solve the problem, could definitely be a marketable pro- product. But hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking that one back up again in any time in the future. So if you're listening and you've got some ideas, go for it. Because I'd love that. All right. Well, we've discussed some terrible ones, some less okay ones. We've talked about some of our own ideas. Uh, Yeah. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers, and your panda. Unlike videos and blogs, podcasts do not have an algorithm for recommendations, and we rely entirely on your word of mouth as our listeners. Yes, we do indeed. So follow us on Instagram at assemble.it for a deeper look into the show and our own work, including behind the scenes, outtakes, projects, and updates. And who knows, maybe those projects might fail. Indeed. That's not a great thing to hear as I enter the research phase of my final university project. But either way, once more, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it among your friends, family, co-workers, and your panda. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Some Assembly Required is co-hosted and produced by Pablo Samoilis and George Wyeth and edited by George Wyeth. Music is by Mikey Burt Whistle. This is a 76 Podcasting production.